Opa! And that's the bat. Mmm. <laughs> cool, clear champagne. -y. Welcome, internet friends, listeners, to our bubbly, wild bubbly broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's up? Not a whole lot. It's hot. Um, I'm gonna put this in the fridge. Okay. So it's been a little bit since we've done a podcast, but not a whole lot has transpired. It's a lot of the same shit, you know, dealing with COVID, dealing with massive social unrest. Social unrest. Uh, we are burning down currently on the West Coast. Um, Climate catastrophes ramping up. All that fun stuff. Or just making itself more apparent. Yeah. Starting to actually feel the effects of it. Here. Mmm. We like this? It's sweeter than I thought it would be. Yeah, it is. Um. But we wanted to do this because I guess there's another addition to the the gun saga. Was that our last episode? Guns? Probably. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um. So two weeks ago, we went out on our, I guess our second hunt together because the first one I think we talked about was in Minnesota. We went deer mm -hmm. hunting. Mm -hmm. um, but this one, we went hare hunting, um, which was like part of the goal in me buying a rifle and kind of, I guess, teaching myself how to hunt. Um, and we did it. Successful. Mm -hmm. how, did, <laughs> how did you find all that stuff out about where we could hunt? Because it was kind of a process, right? Yeah, California's, uh, most of the land in California is private land, so there's not a whole lot of... Um, available like public hunting land there's a decent amount of like public parks state parks county parks all that kind of stuff national parks uh, but you can't always hunt on or I don't I don't know if it's can always I think I think it's mostly you cannot hunt on those um, but I think I did talk a little bit about it in the first thing mm. when we were talking about my plans to hunt but I gotta get naked. Okay, yeah, it's hot. <clears throat> Join the club. You're not fully naked. Close enough. <laughs> um, so we, uh, in our area of Southern California, the closest place you can go rifle hunting is basically out in... Um, Mojave National Preserve. San Bernardino County, which oh. the Mojave National Preserve is in and is BLM land, um, which is... Public lands, if you don't know, that you can do hunting and all sorts of other activities. Have yeah. some autonomous, you know, non-music festival, you know, alternative economy cityscapes pop up for a week. Yeah, well, you need permits to do that shit there, but That's on an individual scale, you can <laughs> go to what you like for the most part within legality mm -hmm. um so we took a long drive out to the desert it's ba the mojave national preserve is basically uh borders nevada um just south of the 15 um when you're on the way to las vegas uh which really it was it was pretty beautiful there's like a bunch of different mountain ranges there's lava tubes there's the most dense joshua tree forest mm. um 
It was a lot farther world. than I thought it would be, though. Yeah. You said three hours, and it was like five hours. Three hours to the preserve. Yeah, then it was like but two hours. There's no way of telling roads. how long you know it is to get in there because they're not mm-hmm. roads that are. And then we hit a chunk of rock, which like fucked our car up. Which was scary. not as bad as we thought it could have been, though. No, but we it just... was like ooh, we were like two hours out, out in the middle of nowhere. No one was around except for Jim. Yeah, there was a couple of people that lived out in the... Um, there was, like, one person whose who's driveway just had a huge piece of plywood with the word Jim written on it. That's how you know it was Jim's place, but it was out there. But otherwise, we didn't see anybody except for a couple cars. A couple cars, a couple cars yeah, couple a ranger speeding down the dirt road. Mm-hmm. Um, it was super out there. It was beautiful, though. It was a full moon, I want to say. Yeah, it was, it was maybe, like, the day after the full moon, but, yeah, it was... It was so bright you didn't need flashlight at night. We kind of just like wandered around, climbed some rocks. But right when we got there was when you were able to bag your first hair. Yeah. Is bag was, like a nasty word? I don't know. I wouldn't say bag, but... That is what it's called. That's why they call it a bag limit. They call it... Yeah. It's, what, it's bagging. Because it's meat in the bag. But it does kind of... It has this like euphemistic like fuck. It has like a sound like you fucked somebody. Like, I bagged this bitch kind of vibe to it. Mm. It's kind of disrespectful. Body bag. I don't know if yeah. that has to do with it or not. But, but I feel like it's called bagging because it's a bag limit. Yeah. Because you put the animal in a bag when you yeah, kill a it. Yeah, ga- a game bag. Yeah. Is something that I guess that's traditionally, or I don't know if that's how traditional, but commonly used. So we, we walked out because you, you were worried that it was going to get a little too dark, <clears> but we had like maybe like... 45 minutes of light left and I was like let's just walk this way and yeah 10 maybe 10 minutes five night? minutes less than that five minutes we, we, saw, we walked up a hill walked down and there it was we saw our first jackrabbit um and I missed the first shot and I was kind of concerned about that because when we were getting all our gear together the mm-hmm. night before I noticed one of my scope uh ring the screw had gotten loose in it because I was a dummy and didn't put Loctite on it. Um, so it came loose and that like f- can fuck up the alignment of like the scope. Um, so I wasn't sure if the gun was going to be zeroed in properly like I had done before at the range previously. But um, I think it was also... It's hard to shoot something even, even sitting still. Like standing up holding a rifle, it's like... It's difficult. It's not an easy thing to do. But the second shot um, got it right between the eyes, so quick, ethical kill. Um, and my rifle wasn't locked, knocked out of um, alignment, which was great. Um, then trying to butcher and skin a hair for the first time as the sun's going down, that was like a little stressful because it was trying not to like fuck it up and waste the meat but yeah also like battling time in the sunset (laughs) i think you did a good job though but it was yeah you'd also forgot your bag at home so you didn't have it when we brought the hair back to camp i was like let's bring it back so we can get some light and you don't have to feel so rushed you skin you managed to skin it and gut it skinned it and gutted it where we where where it laid killed it yeah um and then I said, let's just bring it back, and then you can finish butchering it at camp with lights. But then you had real, 
that's when we realized you had forgotten your bag that had your headlamp in it. Yeah, yeah. All our flashlights. Yeah. (laughs) And my changes of clothes. We didn't need changes of clothes, luckily, but the extra lights would have been nice. Um, And then you butchered it by firelight and iPhone light. Yeah. (laughs) And, like, a little solar lamp that we had. Seemed stressful, though. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was just me trying not to fuck it up it's like you know i took this life and i want to be able to use the most of it as much of it as possible um and do it the right way and then also like not having light and not being able to see it's kind of like an added layer of stress on it and i think earlier that week i was mountain biking and i had to like swerve out of the way of this teenager that was like went the wrong like it's it's they were in the way they were in the way their parent told them to get to the side they ran to the other side the side i was trying to go around them on and i like had to go into like this agave or i don't know what it was it was like an agave or a yucca plant but you know like succulent with super really sharp puncture wound tips nettle needle things on the ends and um i think i got one lodged in my finger so i like at that time, I c- couldn't really, like, move my middle finger, my left hand so well. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Have you ever killed an animal hunting? Um, no. No, I have not. I have had to kill animals before, but mm-hmm. I've never killed an animal hunting. What was that like for you? What, killing animals? Yeah. I mean, I've had to kill Aunt Mercy Mercy killings for pets. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not pleasant, but when you know that that's the right thing to do, you do it because it's the right thing to do within yeah. our human perception of... Well, you don't want Enacting mercy on stuff. Right. I mean, I think we could go into that and think about what makes us, our species, think that we are authorities on other species suffering but Mm. we don't have to get into that right now (laughs) we've had conversations about hierarchical hierarchical interspecies relations um i don't know it seemed like you thought i was bothered um when the rabbit got hit it was twitching for a while like um spazzing for longer than i thought it should be spazzing so i suggested that you maybe needed to kill it bludgeon it or something yeah that's i mean in my experience that's pretty normal yeah that you know the body is still sending electrical signals Mm. and it it like i think very rarely does something just stop dead i guess i've only had i've only had the experience of like watching um like one time when i was a teenager we were driving home and a deer ran into our car it ran into the side of the car that i was sitting on like Mm -hmm. i looked to my left and there was like a deer face in the window (laughs) seconds before it impacted our car um so that in that example my dad immediately slit its throat because yes it was probably gonna die but the most humane thing to do is to kill it as quickly as possible yeah even if there were still death throes or twitches or electrical impulses that's just i guess what has been modeled to me is the most ethical thing to do. <clears throat> so that's what I was thinking when I saw it twitching. I was thinking about that deer and the, and the kills that I have witnessed. Yeah. Um, 
is that if you still see if it's not dead pretty quickly that best practice is to kill it yourself then or kill it again yourself um but you said it was still yeah sending impulses while you were butchering it yeah yeah some of the muscles are still twitching um trying to think what else and then I was, yeah, you were like, are you okay? But I was just walking. <laughs> it uh, was fine. <laughs> you got, well, I mean, you seemed I, affected by it twitching, and then you, and you also got really quiet, so I was just yeah, checking well, in with you. Yeah, to me, that's the respecting it, you know, yeah. respecting its life, and just giving reverence to that moment. So I was walking around looking for something to put in its mouth or something to put in the place where it had died um, as respect. I wanted to find creosote which is this, I actually have a little piece of it here on the table next to me. We found out on our drive there that creosote is this um, desert chaparral plant that is also the oldest living organism on earth. There's one specific one that's there's a There's a ring of creosote bushes, plants that are the oldest living organism on earth. But creosote is like well known as like a um, indigenous medicine and Some people believe that in large enough doses it can cure certain kinds of cancers, and it's one of these, um, yeah, miracle herbs to some people. But I wanted to find a piece of creosote to put in its mouth. I couldn't find it, but I did find, there were all these beautiful pinon trees up where we were camping. It was, like, super fragrant. I found these huge chunks of pinon sap that were, like, just gushing out of the trees. So I brought a piece of that to, like, lay where the... Hare's head had dropped when you shot it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't. I wasn't bothered by it. I was, yeah, just more in reverence to its life. Like I was just checking in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you skinned it and brought it back, and we tried to cook it. Well, we what we could of um, it. Yeah, we well we successfully cooked the back straps. The back straps which were, were really delightful. good. It was. It was like steak. It was really interesting. I've never had hair before. Yeah. That I, I think I've had rabbit, but I don't think I've had hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was like steak. I guess that's... I can't remember what cut of steak that is. So the back straps are like the strings of muscle on either side of the spine on the mm-hmm. top. Um, and I guess on cows, that's where... Uh, I don't know. Some some cut of steak comes from there. Let's call it the strip. <laughs> the New York strip. Because it's a strap. Some kind of steak. Strip strap. Oh, excuse me. But hair is like red meat. It's really it's good. Very, yeah, it was very tasty. But then, um, but then the legs that we did were like white meat. They were like chicken. Yeah, we cooked the, we like pan, kind of pan seared the front legs. But it was not good. But, I don't, yeah, I, don't I think undercooked we, it. We didn't cook it enough. Yeah, I was trying to cook it with, again without good lighting, kind of just like poor lighting, and I couldn't exactly tell if stuff was cooked or not. But the back straps turned out great. Yours needed a little more cooking. It was pretty yeah. rare. And since we didn't know, I mean, you checked the hair's liver, it didn't seem liver to be disease, looks great. muscle yeah. tone was good, all of that. But, you know, it was still kind of, I think, in my mind, I felt a little like uncertain about the meat which i think is an interesting like instinct to have when we're so used to um factory farmed uh meat you know yeah i i think it's completely normal though because it's like if it's something like chicken or steak that you know you've cooked 
like innumerable times, times yeah. or it's something you know completely new yeah. and you know it's the first time we've hunted um this animal and cooked it and we're not you know kind of like oh did i remember to check for all the things to make sure it mm-hmm. doesn't have a disease mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. It's, so it's like maybe a little heightened like that yeah that state of i think it's just uncertainty okay? yeah, yeah. It's, it's uncertainty and unfamiliarity yeah yeah for sure um so we decided to take what i had cooked of those front legs and just save it for a broth stock a, a rabbit stock and then um you wanted to hunt again the next day we knew it was gonna be really hot we had a really bad heat wave here last week and this was just before that so it was already yeah it really was hot easily in the hundreds there yeah, it was um, bad and so yeah I, I gotta i usually get up before genevieve and i i went out on a walk um and do you remember how many pairs i said i saw i saw like three or four on my yeah you said walk. you saw a couple um I had a shot on one of them and like after you're like hiking around a bunch and your heart's been beating like the fucking crosshairs are moving all over and there was a big rock behind me so I was like I'll go behind the rock and use the rock to steady my rifle and the like two seconds it took me to like walk behind this rock and turn back it it had bolted Mm. um so I missed that one. I saw a couple others that kind of ran across my path. Um, and there, was I, a, there was a lot of hares out there. That there was, was a, a lot. good spot. Yeah. Um, and the, the vegetation there was, like, pretty, pretty... I mean, it wasn't, like, crazy thick, but there was a lot of little bushes, a ton of, like, pinyon trees, um, cacti everywhere. So if you, like, something ran... If a, the hare ran behind, like a bush or something that's really hard to pick its track back up because you didn't have like a straight line of sight to kind of like follow where it went um and then you came back to camp and we decided to walk out again we walked down kind of by a couple washes we saw a few we We saw saw we saw cottontail first which you didn't have a good well i was i was like pulling up my rifle to take a shot at it and it it ran Mm. um so I tried to track it back down, but it was it was too far gone. We must sound like such newbie hunters. <laughs> anyone who's hunted before, we're like, we saw one. <laughs> well, you know, we're we are newbie hunters. We are, yeah. I'm I've a, been out hunting I'm many an times, but adult I've never onset hunter, and I oh, have right. have no no hunt no um mentor, so I'm like kind of fumbling in the dark, figuring. But you did great. Yeah, you did great. Um, but you know, I don't know if this, I don't know if this is for, I mean, it is for people who have experience hunting because, you know, learning about other people's experiences is enriching, mm. I would hope to most people, mm. but also to people who, you know, have an idea it. of what yeah. hunting is or what, who hunters are. Mm-hmm. Cause probably most people look at me on the street and don't think that mm-hmm. I would be into hunting, especially since a lot of my politics lean like extremely like. You know what? What am I? Uh, anarcho-communist. Anarcho. Anarcho. Socialist. <laughs> what did we get? We took this um, political compass test, which is like any quiz. It doesn't exactly sit like no quiz can like accurately situate no, you. But not we, not in like twenty questions. <laughs> we both got 
anarcho, not socialist, not communist. Collectivist. Collectivist, yeah. yeah. Although I feel like when I read the definition of anarcho-communism, that I feel, more I feel more affinity for that. Mm. But, I mean, I think all those anarchos in the corner are, like, chill. Closely affiliated. They're pretty chill. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, that's generally my thinking, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I think, I don't think, I don't think any of those denounce ownership oh no absolutely not but I'm, I'm just saying there's a there's a stereotype of who a hunter is mm. and which is a left you're it's saying it's not, like a left-wing oh yeah and, and like for for well not left-wing libertarian but like progressives view you know hunters as conservative mm-hmm. like rednecks mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. but that's you know really not it yeah um that's kind of you know a media driven mm-hmm. thing um and I don't know. I think you wanna you wanna you want to tell that story so that other people who might be feel an affinity for that don't feel so what alone or just not not I mean sure that's great if someone gets that out of it mm-hmm. but I think it's more more just about I don't know talk I storytelling guess, talking about yeah what what my journey what my life. Mm is currently unfolding as and you know where my interests lie like um i don't know (laughs) so so we walked a little further we saw a couple hairs we did some stalking we separated a little which was like high oh wait no we forgot that we we did a there was one we saw across a wash that i took a shot at and missed Mm. we saw some deer Oh yeah, we saw like three deer. Saw a bunch of quail too. That Lots were kind of, of like quail. giving us up. It was a wildlife zone. Yeah, there was a lot of. It was I a mean, nice little zone. The desert is bounteous. It really you is. Know, it's yeah. just it's a different kind of life than like a I don't know like a temperate forest or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but there's you know it's a whole unique ecosystem there that's thriving and surviving and has adapted to hot and not so much moisture it's beautiful it's, yeah it's, it's wonderful beautiful. i mean like, the plant life was really cool yeah i i really enjoyed being around pinyon trees again because mm-hmm. uh i actually lived in a really tiny town called pinyon <laughs> in new mexico which is the first time i encountered those pine trees this was my first time yeah and i love <laughs> pine trees because i grew up in a pine forest mm-hmm. um, yeah and i've never been around pinyon it's so fragrant we have like that those little incense blocks that are pignon scented. Yeah, and those are your favorite ones. And those are my favorite ones, and it really smelled like that there. And then the sap, we like threw the sap in the fire, and it was just really, yeah, lovely. A lot of lot of juniper, a lot of laden the juniper. The berries. <laughs> yes. I'm getting more bubbles. More bubbles. Um, I'm trying to think, where else are we in the recap of our little hunt? Um, Back. Oh yeah, so uh, we we were, we're returning back to go back to the car because it was really getting hot. We were I was burning thirsty. Mimi was getting crispy, mm-hmm. um, and probably I don't know within Oops. twenty maybe like fifty yards of our campsite, um, I saw another jackrabbit and oh thank tell. you. I can't tell what's fair. I can't see your cup. And. Um, first shot, got that one in the head as well. Um, and 
that little guy fell into a prickly pear cactus. Mm-hmm. Um, which made, like, recovering its body a little precarious. I think I got a couple um, cactus tines in me. Yeah. That time. This one seemed like it was a younger one than the first one. Because it was, it was, it was small. A, a good deal smaller um, than the other one. It was hard to tell, like, through the scope. Mm-hmm. Like... I guess maybe because I don't, I just haven't looked at them through a scope that much. Hard to tell how big they were? Yeah, in in comparison. Are you supposed to not shoot the adolescents? It doesn't matter, right? Yeah, it's it's completely open. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it looked tiny, I I probably wouldn't because it's not not worth, it's not enough meat to um, really make it worth it unless you're like, you know, starving or something. But... Uh, so... You had to reach into the prickly pear. Reached into the prickly pear, recovered our second hair, and we went back up to where we were camping to butcher it in the, in the shade of some trees. Um, and part of the way through gutting it, I slipped my knife through the sternum and into my thumb. <laughs> really deep, like stitches so, deep, if you were the kind of person who wanted uh, to go get stitches. Yeah, so I like... I don't know. I almost... It's like almost... Almost to the bone? Almost to the bone, yeah. It's a pretty deep cut. And you had forgotten your first aid kit was in your bag. And my... Yeah, first aid kit was in the bag that we left at home. Or I left at home. Yeah. Um, So... We made it work. Yeah. We had some toilet paper and duct tape, and then I said, I'll finish the butchering, which I think I did pretty good at. You did a great job. And you said you like, you enjoy butchering? I enjoy butchering. Uh, When I was in high school and middle school, whenever we had dissection, I think I took two anatomy classes in high school, and I always really enjoyed anatomy and dissection, and it's fascinating to me to look inside. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I did a pretty good job. You did? I gotta admit. <laughs> I felt like you were a little nervous. About what? In your bu- When you were butchering. Like, it's not a super comfortable place for you. Um, or, or was it more a perfectionist thing? Perfectionist thing. Yeah, I was more... You perfectionist. I was more worried. <laughs> I was just like, crack a bone, slice no, it open, we're not, good. It's not really ner- nerves. It was more... It was more worrying about, like, nicking the guts mm. and wasting the meat. Mm. Like, for but, I mean, me, what's something that's... that's going to happen? The bile can get on the meat. You can rinse I it. I mean, if you get... I, this, I think some of it is it, it will ruin it. The bile. Like, you're not supposed to eat Because I feel like when but, I butchered it, I may have hit the... Like, the urine came out, right? It came, but it did it come I think, out the bottom? I think that's less... I mean, they both of them peed when they were right. hit. Right. I think urine is less toxic than stuff that comes the out bile. of the guts because that's like, you know, those are uh, uh, bacteria that can yeah. make you really sick. Yeah. And it is nerve wracking, I think, until you're familiar with yeah, it. Yeah, and that was the first hair I've ever butchered. Or, for, yeah, first two. I've, I guess I haven't butchered anything. I've skinned a few mm-hmm. animals. When you did um, bobcat, you tracked bobcats me right Yeah, I, I've never seen the bobcat, but um, a couple raccoons and I th- what was the other one? It was like a, it wasn't a beaver, it was some big rodent. A muskrat? Something like that, I can't remember. Um, but that I, I wasn't actually doing that one, I was like watching friend do that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but skinning is like a whole, it's, 
whole different thing. It's like, I to me, it's like not quite as complicated because you're just dealing with skin, cutting that off mm-hmm. of like... Dealing with the entrails is... Entrails is like delicate. a whole... Yeah, a delicate mm-hmm. thing is like... Yeah, you don't... Or at least until you become familiar with it. Yeah, them. so I, I don't know. I think I did okay for my first time yes. doing that. I could just feel the, your nervousness, you know? Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't think it was nervousness. It was more like trying to do this right, sun's going down mm-hmm. under pressure, like mm-hmm. trying, to, trying not to fuck this thing up because, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm going to take this life, I don't want to waste any part of it. I don't want to... Whoa! What? The cops are... The, so across the street... Should we pause this? Yeah, let's pause it. Okay, we're like... going to pause. There's some cops across the street. Okay, sorry. <laughs> False alarm. It wasn't the cops. It was this, like, rent-a-cop that's been lurking around her property across the street. Do you want just, to go into it or just, no? No, <laughs> we don't have to go into it. <laughs> just trying to keep a, a, a eye friendly on the sky. eye on yeah. the fucking cops in yeah. our neighborhood. They're always around here fucking with someone. So, we were talking about you're butchering wanting to use the animal although I was gonna say I mean if you had to quote waste the meat another animal would be provided with a meal yeah for sure you know so that's something to keep in perspective but there are lots lots of vultures out there they'd be happy a lot of vultures and coyotes and okay. all well, the other. Oh my god, the coyotes were—they woke me up all night. It was a terror. I slept so badly because <laughs> the moon was so bright, and we decided to not put the rain fly on, so we could see the stars and like, have. Which was a bad idea. <laughs> but it would have been so hot. It like it was probably like eighty yeah, degrees at overnight. night, and That's with true. the rain fly on, it would have been even hotter because it would have just greenhouse. But the full moon here. was just blasting in like a like an overhead light. Yeah, I was tossing and turning a bit. Yeah, you know. more than a bit. Yeah, but yeah, there was because of the light. Um, I did not sleep well, and then the coyotes were yipping, and at some point they were like pretty close. I was convinced that one of them had found the entrails of the first hair and mm-hmm. we're loving life and like telling all their friends about got a it. snack got a snack it's <laughs> <laughs> crying out into the night um so yeah then uh i finished butchering that one which i was happy about i'm less inclined to shoot the animal but very happy to process and cook the animal and mm-hmm. i don't <laughs> is that like gender <clears throat> essentialist of me <laughs> out here uh, tending the fire and cooking i don't know i guess it depends who you ask if it's something <laughs> if it's something that you enjoy doing like mm. i don't it shouldn't matter i mean it's one thing if it's like i expect you to do <laughs> cooking because i just feel less inclined to be the one wielding the firearm yeah i'm very well, very supportive of and i like i was like the first hair like i'm very into the tracking process into like the hunt but it might have, yeah, it might have something to do with, too, as a kid, I would go hunting with my dad, but I didn't have a license. He would just bring me to watch. For the experience. Yeah, for me, the joy of hunting is in the waiting. It's in the tracking. It's in mm-hmm. the sitting and listening and being super aware of your environment. That's what, like, I enjoy about it. I don't, I don't desire to be the one to take the life. Mm-hmm. But I don't have a problem with the life being taken. 
and um, doing the things to honor that Thereafter. life by consum- consuming its products. <laughs> Do they become products? I think if you sell them, mm. I suppose. Yeah. No, now I now I'm not sure. What are the what what is the meat after? It's I guess it's just fuel. Yeah, it's it's, it's uh, sustenance. Sustenance. Um. So you got that second one, and then we decided it was. That was good. A good enough. We were ready, hunt. yeah, to get out of the heat because our I mean, car I mean, was, was being weird too. Yeah, it was. I mean, it it was still fairly early. I was like ten a.m. It was. We got out of there at eleven thirty. We left. Eleven thirty. Okay, yeah. and yeah, it was. It was only getting hotter too. So. It was very hot at eleven thirty, and our car had like, the yeah the clunking sound because like something got crushed underneath. Which yeah, what ended up happening was uh one of I guess a rock that we had hit kind of we have a metal skid plate underneath our car so it dented the metal skid plate up to where it was touching the transmission and also our transmission mount had gone worn out too so the transmission was hanging lower than it was supposed to be mm. so that combination of the uh <clears throat> skid pad dented up transmission hanging down was uh t- they were touching and then it was just vibrating and making this really loud like sound. It sounded much worse than mm-hmm. apparently it was. Which but we're yeah, <laughs> we didn't. I mean, we we were checking. We're like, okay, we're not leaking any oil, and the fluids are coming out. We like weren't sure what the fuck was going on, but it's all we, like, good. All Our good. boy John took care of it. Yeah, we're lucky that we live like two blocks from like a, a Volkswagen. We have a specialist diesel um, Jetta. So we live, yeah, two blocks from a uh, Volkswagen specialist that's like this little indie shop that, um, dude's super chill. Um, so yeah, that was the first hunt. That was the first hunt. We had rabbit for the next, or hare, not rabbit. I keep saying rabbit. I like it's, calling it rabbit. It's not a rabbit, though. They're full wackly rabbit. They're different animals. And we, then I, went, I like studied, I went and researched, um, Elmer Fudd. Mm-hmm. After our webinar, <laughs> I have nothing to report on that, actually. No, okay. It wasn't as deep as I thought it would be. Um, yeah, we made backstraps. We, we made... Fried... Or, yeah, seared backstrap. You made we braised. Did, I braised um, the legs in, like, so good. red wine. And then I made a stock out of the all of the parts of the body and the bones that we couldn't process. Yeah, that was really good, too. I made wild rice. Um, that my parents sent me from northern Minnesota made wild rice in the hair stock. Just so good. It was very good. Feels very like just nice to eat food from the wild. Yeah. And you know, it's like it's like I mean not completely analogous to like growing your vegetables, but as I guess as close as you can get. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hairs every- that had a happy life doing their thing mm-hmm. in the spot they evolved to do their thing. Yeah, it's- and ultimately they're going to have pretty short lifespans. Like, hairs are... That's... Yeah. Sh- hairs are not... What, wait, do you know how long they usually live? I'm not sure. I'll look it up. But, I would, yeah, I think... Not that that matters. I mean, it's like, I wouldn't kill, like, a tortoise. You know what I mean? It's like, the Unless lifespan. I absolutely had to. Like, yeah, I mean... I'm sure there are people who do eat tortoise, you know? Um, 
maybe the lifespan isn't like a good metric of like whether mm. an animal deserves to, to die, die or, or not. not. No, <laughs> I mean, let's backtrack on that. <laughs> it's, I, it's something we've said so many times. It's like no matter where you eat on the food chain, a living creature, you know, dies so that you can live. That is how life works. Mm-hmm. Like there are tons of living organisms that are living off of us right now and when we die our bodies will become food for innumerable creatures critters plants if i can have anything to do with it i wouldn't want myself turned into ash no i mean we're gonna put you we're gonna put your body in the woods like you requested yeah so i found out that you can legally um if you know, the land that I will one day inherit some kind of stewardship over, you can ask to, or you can apply to have it made into a legal graveyard. And if you do that, you then you can just put the body on the forest floor and oh, let it decompose. Cool. It's a, called a green burial. Well, mm. green, well, no, green burial is a little different, but the specific thing that I want to do is... Yeah, be put on the ground to decompose. You can do that by donating your body to a body farm. You can do that by being part of a green burial in a cemetery, which is really just like cover you in a type of sack and put you in the ground and let you decompose without a coffin. But I want to just be under one of my trees in the woods there, decomposing. I want I want people, my left leftovers, I want the people that are le- le- still living to eat a piece of me. Yes, which I think the legality of it, I haven't looked deeply into it, That's but it's, probably, it's going to be difficult. It's probably... I don't, I don't... You need to start looking into that. I don't want to operate under legalities. It could be like a little chunk of me, you know. I know what are they going to do? But Come you're check. asking you're asking the living to take on the liability of your death, you know. So you no, got to look already into be that. Dead. It's like how you, like, you have a responsibility for your mother. You Like, your thing, your responsibility is to get her to wherever she wants to be. I don't think it's happening. Your mom's not going to die? No, I mean, I don't think her body's getting to Israel in 24 hours from fucking Bali. But it's her wishes, so aren't you going to try? Unless she's going to leave, like, thousands of dollars to charter a private Maybe plane to make that happen. Have you asked her if she has that citizenship? I don't think she is. Okay. I don't I don't know if she's... I don't know how strict she's going to follow the 24-hour thing to Well, Israel. Jenna, if you're listening, let us know what we're supposed to do. Because I think people, uh, you know, my mom, every two years or so, likes to talk about death wishes. Mm-hmm. It's uh, something of an obsession with her, and I won't go into the reasons why. But So it's made me very aware of people's death wishes and, like, what that's all about, you know? And yeah. recognizing that death wishes fall on the living, not on you. Yeah. So how can you accommodate the living within that? Yeah, I don't, I don't, actually, I, I don't, I don't really care too much. I would prefer not to be embalmed, and I would prefer not to be, like, hermetically sealed or put in a fucking cemetery. But ideally, like, you'd be barbecued and we'd eat you. Not my whole body, <laughs> pieces of me. Which piece do I get? I don't know. Maybe, maybe since backstraps are good, maybe mm. my backstraps are good. Yeah, I think these quads look nice and juicy. <laughs> I'm not, I don't know, I'm not, it's, it's like, it's my old body that I shed. I don't really care. You're not that attached I, to it. Yeah, well, I don't really care. Like, I would prefer it go back to, you know, the land and mm. stuff like that, but 
I, I don't I don't feel yeah maybe that at the end of the day it should just it. it should well because you won't be you'll be literally detached so yeah. like why not just leave it to the living to do what's easiest yeah but I mean sometimes what's easiest for them is knowing what you would have wanted that's like a weird think, part of death I think. It, yeah I think that could be helpful I mean I think our I don't know whatever the the legal system around death like can make that difficult because right now it's basically the easiest things to pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars <laughs> to basically turn your dead body into a doll mm-hmm. and like then they put you in a piece of manicured like lawnscape mm-hmm. in a hermetically sealed like box couldn't be me man seems that seems weird couldn't be me i think you know i think we should be smart about it don't put decomposing bodies near you know water groundwater that shit but mm-hmm. it should be perfectly fine to like but even then that's like put a body yeah, in the woods the effect on the, like any kind of water system of like one teeny body should just remind you of how small you are in the vast network of living systems yeah. Yeah, but I don't... I mean, don't put you, it in the river that you're, like, That's what I'm saying. Like, you you can put it, like, near a stream or some kind of underground, like, aquifer where people drink and, you know, if bacteria gets into that, it's all ruined. Yeah, don't like, do that. I, but, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. So, speaking of butchering you and your body and <laughs> your death um, and how that's your desire... Uh, it's I, not a heart. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought it'd be interesting to tie in this recent discovery that we had about a scene that we like to play in BDSM, which revolves around butchering and where we're at with that. So mm-hmm. I guess like, so we butchered, you have now butchered a rabbit. Yeah. You desire to be butchered and eaten in death. No, not necessarily. But maybe. No, not not full butcher. It, I mean, it, it, again, this is not a hard ask for me. I think it would be interesting to do this, but I'm not going to be like, I don't, I'm not trying to force anyone to eat me. Right. I think it would be in, like, interesting to have, yeah, my survivors eat a piece of me. My survivors. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have a scene that but we... But not necessarily, like, full-on butcher my body, turn mm-hmm. it into cuts of meat and no. shit. No, okay. Not, like, so not that hardcore. No, it's like a little section. Little Everyone has, like, a toothpick worth. Got it. Or d'oeuvres de temba. Yeah, something like that. So then there's this scene that we've talked about previously on the podcast. I don't remember the name of the episode, but we talked... Probably about, an early it's one. It's an earlier one yeah. where we talked about this scene that we were enjoying exploring at the time which involves a uh, uh, speculative butchery of me mm-hmm. by you using the electro wand the uh sorry the elect the, the neon wand, neon wand coupled Electric with way. uh the wurtenberg pinwheel mm-hmm. um I feel like we didn't, we haven't really played that scene out that much. I think we did it fully that one time. Mm -hmm. I think, like, we've definitely used that implement, like, 
when we happened to be doing electro play, but I think only that one time had it well, that was been the only like time it was an intentional yeah. yeah butchery. Scene. But every other time we've used it, you've implied yeah, that kind of a like slicing. a tongue in cheeky yeah, like because you've told me um, that that's something that you know gets you and like the mental fuckery of that. Yeah, it's a mind fuck. Yeah. So we de- we decided. So I realized recently a couple. I don't know, three weeks ago. Four weeks ago? Quarantine. <laughs> I have no idea. Sometimes time? Sometime recently I realized, it just dawned on me. I was like, you know what? I just, I, I know that I can't do that anymore, you know? It's not something that... It's working for you anymore. It's just, yeah. It's just too difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, too difficult for me to psychologically, like, get through in a way. But I wanted to see, just as an experiment, if we did it in a way that was framed through this eco-fetishist lens, which means applying plant life or garden tools or things associated with plants, grass, house plants, wild plants, gardens, whatever. See if there's a way to apply that to the scene and that I could psychologically get over the suggestion that you had implanted when I first felt that sensation for the first time. Because mm-hmm. I couldn't shake it. It was like every time I felt well, that, all I could think about was being sliced wide open. I feel like implanted is a very strong wording. I it said was a, suggested. Oh, I thought you Did just said implanted. Oh. Yeah, I suggested it and you accepted as such. Mm-hmm. And then brainwash <laughs> I don't think. Who? What? <laughs> no, it was something that I accepted as a suggestion. Yeah. Um, and and moved through great discomfort to experience, you know, mm-hmm. because that is part of the joy of S and M for me is going through testing those testing those limits, limits and seeing like where they end. And, and like I said, I think I recently realized like that was that was there wasn't a precipitous event. I don't think we'd used that tool in a long time. Mm, no, no, I don't think but so. But it just occurred to me that like oh I can't I can't do that anymore. Um, but I wanted to see if we used this tool, a different tool, similar tool, a Wartenberg wheel, with many. It's like four wheels instead of one. Yeah, it's a multi-wheeled. Wartenberg wheel that looks a lot like these things that are called lawn aerators that you roll across a lawn to kind of like puncture holes in it and it helps the water and air to move between the roots of the grass is that right I think so yeah it's something I feel like I haven't seen it in practice on like personal lawns that much I saw it like on my high school like yeah. football field it does seem like a kind of like corporate lawn thing i don't know how i don't know institutional lawn i don't know how effective that is really i don't know why they do it but but they do it yeah it's something that happens i wonder if it's still practiced yeah i mean i guess it must be if they're still selling the implements yeah yeah so i wanted to see if if we could do that scene in such a way where i felt like i was a patch instead of being a a little piggy getting butchered if I could feel, <laughs> which, was, which was the scene that we had played out that we described on this podcast. Um, if I could transpose it and think of myself as a lawn being aerated, which 
I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm just, like, thinking of its relationship, too, to being, like, this hair that we butchered, you know? Mm-hmm. And how subjects, you or I, or a hair, or a lawn, move to become objects. You know what I mean? This, like... This, like, psychological distance we have from things that we, like, no longer see as having livelihood or life in them. I mean, I, I wouldn't describe the hair as my thought to the hair as being, you know, not as being an object. So, like, what like, what point in the butchering process does it become meat instead of a hair? I mean, it's it's hair meat. I don't think they're... To me, it's, it's not... It's not divorced. Yeah, it's not divorced. Yes, it is no longer, like, a living thing, but that was a living being, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know... To me, the way I think of anything I eat is, this might be kind of woo, but it's, I'm inviting parts of that consciousness to join and experience my consciousness when I Mm -hmm. eat something. Mm -hmm. Um, So all the, you know, all the nutrients, all the vitality, all of the energy stored in that living being, whether it be a tomato or a chicken... Um, are then becoming one with my body, my being. And, you know, part of that gets uh, expended through energy, like my movement around whatever I'm doing physically, and I think part of that also stays with me energetically. Mm. Um, Which is, like, you know, why I'm personally trying to move to ingesting things that I know come from a good mm-hmm. place. I know how to happy life. Like I want to eat the tomatoes from our garden that I know we're loved, that I know that we go out and talk to them. Mm-hmm. And it's not from a factory farm mm-hmm. wherever in the United States that's just, you know, blasted with chemicals and fertilizers and blah, blah, blah. And is, you know, harvested by indiscriminate machinery and just like, it's, it's like that, a, it's, like a cog in the wheel as opposed to having a relationship mm-hmm. with the thing that you're eating too. I was thinking about it when we were grocery shopping today. We were at Trader Joe's, which is where we usually get our meat. And there was a choice between, I guess they were different, right? There was a pork loin and then there was a pork loin that was pen free. Mm-hmm. Is that what it said? Pen free? I believe so, yeah. And I was joking around and I think it disturbed you a little or something because I was like whacking the meat around in my hand but I was really thinking about like that choice as a consumer it was two dollars more per pound for the pen free pork loin you know Mm -hmm. which is like a consumer decision thing where you're supposed to believe that the pen free pig regardless of what its conditions are besides the fact that we're to believe it's not in a pen is supposed to make you think you're investing in a more ethical slaughter. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think to a degree, yeah, it probably had a happier life than one that was living in but a what do you pen. Think, what do you think it was going to feel? that doesn't... But that... I, I doubt it. I think I, I read something about, like, free-range free chickens in quotes. Yeah. That... Um, it's only slightly better than being that's like, what I was packed thinking. together. I was like, what does um, a pen-free yeah. pork loin mean? Which is, you know, it's 
it's kind That's of it's kind thought, of it, it's kind of like greenwashing where it's yeah. like yeah it makes you feel better about mm-hmm. what you're doing the thing probably had a slightly better state of life but it's not as good it's still in pork shreds yeah it's, excuse me <laughs> it's, it's still in pork shreds what uh, <laughs> um I mean, it's not but cool. I I, I put it far out of my mind, the kind of meat that we eat and how we eat it, because I've never been faced with it, you know? Yeah. I've never been to a factory farming facility. I've never... I haven't watched the, the vegan videos, you know, the videos of the slaughters and things like that. Um, I don't know if it would change my consumer habits, you know? I feel inclined to eat meat in my diet... And short of us being able to hunt enough protein or enough meat-based protein, like, I'm going to keep doing that until we can, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the goal. We're, we're, um, at least for me, I'm working up to, like, uh, being able to, yeah, harvest, you know, maybe go hunting once a year. So if we can get to the point where it's, like, a deer or an elk. Or where a it's, boar. Or, yeah, boars, like, what my sights are on now because there's a huge... You went um, hunting once and now you're ready to go boar? N- it was always in my yeah. mind, but I want, you know, I want to learn about this craft I'm cultivating. Mm. And I want to do it as ethically as possible. I also... Starting with small game is... Yeah, yeah. I also don't have the resources to go, you know, pay thousands of dollars to go on a guided hunt. Which is all there is in California, right? Um, there's, I mean, there's small amounts of most of the places where, uh, like these feral pigs are are on private land. So mm-hmm. you do have to. Uh, a, a lot of people elect to do um, a guided hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know where was I going with that. Oh yeah, for for me it's kind of like a learning this craft and stepping up because I don't you know, I don't have the money to just go throw at a guide and go on a big game hunt because mm-hmm. you know I don't it's it's a couple thousand dollars to go do that mm-hmm. depending where you go mm-hmm. that's that's I I don't have that money <laughs> but ideally you want to move towards oh yeah bigger a type of subsistence where our meat is no longer factory farmed meat. Yeah, I mean, ideally I would like all of the food we, or at least the majority of the food we eat to not come from uh, industrialized agriculture because no, like, it's, it's all fucked up. It's all fucked up. Mm-hmm. And it's fucking up the environment around us. Monocropping is a motherfucker. Like, mm-hmm. there's a huge dead spot in the Gulf of Mexico because of all the agricultural runoff down the Mississippi which flushes into the mm-hmm. Gulf of Mexico mm-hmm. but yeah I think personally trying to become as, as sustainable and self self I guess yeah sustainable and self-sufficient in our food is a big goal for me personally mm-hmm. Um, so tracking back to the scene. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Know. We went back to hunting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what. That's okay. Because, I, I mean, I guess I'm just, like, interested. I made that post yesterday about that scene and wanted to kind of... Sh- or about about letting go of that scene, mm-hmm. you know? 
um, on our sacred sadism account, and I wanted to kind of share with people this idea of like knowing when it's time to move on, you know, from mm-hmm. something that you know can no longer be enjoyed between two people if one of the people doesn't want to do it anymore, you know, that that's an important part of BDSM to not grit your teeth and bear it, which I think is unfortunately maybe some people's perception of bottoming, you know, yeah, is that displeasure is the name of the game. And so you should just sit there and take it. And that's been maybe part of my journey too, is recognizing Mm. that, you know, in the beginning when we were exploring that it held some, it held some excitement for me to do something that I knew I didn't physically enjoy, but that I could find pleasure in psychologically knowing that I got through it, mm-hmm. you know? But that's different than, like, say, for example, getting flogged and truly enjoying that sensation and yeah. enjoying that experience. And it can be painful, but it's, like, rewarding in physical and psychological ways yeah you know um i think one of the other things i wanted to like touch upon in that post like indirectly inadvertently is this idea of like letting go of things that you that served a purpose you know and i mean that in like a a macrocosmic scale as well Mm -hmm. because i think like for me this past week has been really difficult. The wildfires and the smoke has caused me like a lot of anxiety and grief that I haven't, that hasn't like settled into my body the way it settled in this week. Mm. And that's like a cumulative effect over like months of this, like what the fuck is going on, you know, feeling. Um, and all of the adjustments that everyone's making to, I, 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 what is called the new normal, which, like, I don't like that term or believe in that term because I think it's ridiculous, you know? Um, normal, new normal. I don't think there should be a new normal. I think there should be a constant uh, yeah, I mean, flux, fluctuation of human experience. Yeah, there is no, there's no static state. No. Everything, you know, sometimes the changes aren't as drastic or as perceptible but it's always changing mm-hmm. sometimes they're big sometimes it's little it's like it's mm-hmm. it's always a flow of that and yeah i agree i think it's um you're deluding yourself if you you know if you think something's gonna you, remain in a new normal yeah if you don't yeah if you haven't accepted that you know flux 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 is the state of mm-hmm. the universe. Mm-hmm. Like, shit is always changing. Mm-hmm. Like, And I think that's, like, the macrocosmic version of what I wanted to get across and what I've been thinking about, too, is just, like, those things, things that maybe, like, we needed and craved in, like, a so-called, the so-called before times, <laughs> <laughs> you know, are going to change and need to change, and we need to be ready to accept and grieve those changes you know let that happen let that sink in let yourself mourn it with your full body you know with everything that's like in your body's knowledge you've carried through this life and other lives and ancestral lives you know just like let let that be the new normal 
is that we're going to be in a constant state of grief, maybe. And that that grief is going to, like, ebb and flow in different ways. I don't think... <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I don't think it has to be... I mean, I guess that's individual. I don't think it needs to be a constant state of grief. But I think, like, being okay with, you know, being okay with, like, a... Uh, uh, with change and not being attached mm-hmm. to it's like the microcosm of, of hunting it's yeah. like you can cry every time you shoot a hair you know that's a valid experience of death like this show we were watching alone mm-hmm. where some of the contestants on the show this like survival skill show would cry every time almost every time they killed an animal or would experience this great grief that this small animal had lost its short life, you know? You can't... That's okay. That's, like, a valid thing, too, to feel like, fuck the weight of that, you know? I mean, I feel I feel like that goes into the hierarchy of living beings, though, because, you know, every step we take, we kill microorganisms under each foot, and nobody cries about that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's... But certain events remind you. Yeah, yeah, but that's the that's the hierarchy thing. It's like, oh, this thing has eyes. It moves around mm-hmm. like me. I identify with this well, thing. Well, and so like in the I, same way, it's like I, I don't think we should be like callous to it. But I also I don't know. I mean, everyone's different too. So it's there's that's no. That's all I'm like, trying to say. Yeah, that's all I'm no, trying to say is like different people are going to grieve differently. Grief. I do. I am beginning to believe that grief is the constant, and this has been a like. A, a summer of grief. I mean, it's mm. a grief that, like, you know well from your own experience as, like, a black person living in America that, like, the potentiality of death is always there, right? So that's, like, maybe... But it's, it's not a grief. It's just that it just is. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a, you know, it's just, like, things are always going... New life is always going to cycle in and life is always going to cycle out. So I I think from my perspective, it's, it's just, you know, it's when it's, when it seems to be needless or, you know, um, I don't know what the other word I'm trying to say is, but you know, you, you can get upset at, at like, at needless violence and needless loss, but you know, things are always coming in, things are always coming out, and, like, that, that's what life is. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't think, I, I don't agree with, you know, going out and, if we had, like, a machine gun going and blasting, like, a hundred hairs or something like that and just leaving them there, I don't, I think that's wrong. Mm-hmm. But, <clears throat> uh, taking a couple to eat you know, and doing that with respect and reverence for for those beings, I think is okay, and that that's part of life. You know, because the same thing with like the taking of the lettuce. The mm. lettuce. The lettuce has just as much right to live as the thing furry, cute thing with two eyes and legs. But do you think lettuce grieve each other more than we grieve lettuce? I couldn't, I don't think most people grieve lettuce, eh? <laughs> That's what <laughs> I'm saying. I wouldn't, I but wouldn't. Like, le- but, like, plants <clears throat> scream to each other. Plants yeah. communicate with each other. I mean, I'm dying. Yeah, I mean, every time I p- pick something from the garden, it's kind of like a, a thank you mm. to, you know, I I talk to the plants every time I go out there and water them and look at them and, and 
I'm just thinking about the plants' <clears throat> relationship to each other. I I I I don't think. I don't. I don't think it's useful to. Well, not useful. I don't. I don't know that we can postulate on that because all. We can. <clears throat> we we can, know. but we're yeah. We can't know. We're we're putting our we're humanizing mm. those beings because we really don't know like what that experience is like, mm-hmm. um, and how it how exactly it works. Maybe one day we will. So all we know is human grief then, you know? Yeah. And it's like, and that grief can take so many forms. It can be and grieving a bunny or yeah. grieving a brethren or grieving a observatory that we feel a connection to, you know, a, a piece of land that's burned down or an uncle who died from an airborne disease, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I, I think it's, I think, yeah, grieving those things is fine, but I think you also have to like... <clears throat> put in it put into perspective uh all of the life that goes into those things because that uncle took countless lives that observatory took countless lives to be put up it's i think i don't know i don't know if i'm being too callous here but <laughs> well you've always like, said that you have a very different perspective on death than most people you've encountered yeah it's you know Every, which, which might be a callous perspective. <laughs> every it's something to consider. Yeah, every everything around us, like absorbed and took energy, life energy, other things energies to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's wrong to to grieve those things, but it's like. Are, it's like you know Notre Dame burning or the the, the Mount Wilson Observatory burning. Yeah, we can be sorry that you know that thing costs or it took sucks that you know. I mean, I don't care about a piece of property. Two hundred trees down, had to be cut down, do. and, <laughs> and microorganisms and everything else that was living there before couldn't be there anymore for that thing to exist. And now, you know, that thing's going to disappear. It's like, oh, we had that. What were you reading about Mount Wilson today? You looked it up, right? Oh, it was something I saw on social media about... It was saying that Mount Wilson was, like, a significant scientific thing. And I was like, eh, I wouldn't call it a significant scientific thing. Maybe it's very significant in... To scientists. In in astronomy, specifically. Mm. I don't think science as a whole... Mm. <clears throat> but I guess a, a bunch of, you know, like, people who were big names in astronomy and discoveries happened there. Like, can't remember the person's name, but it was, like, in 19... It was pretty late, I feel like. It was, like, the early 1900s, some astronomer, like, made the observation that we were not at the center of the Milky Way. Um astronomer somebody Haley worked there Hubble also worked there I can't Haley remember Bob Comet <laughs> Go, Heaven's Gate you were talking about I don't know well that, I was, All make, I'm I was say, making I'll, Heaven's can, Gate can jokes. I backtrack and just say I think it's fair to recognize that we're living through a period where maybe maybe it's only because maybe it's because I'm mostly in contact with and in commune with 
a bunch of white people. I think that's the big thing. I think a lot of white people are starting to grieve for the first starting time. Starting to feel yeah. it's it's still not close, but mm-hmm. they're starting to see what reality is like for other people who are not white living mm-hmm. in a white supremacist country. Mm-hmm. Um, and include, including the realities of climate change and how it has already been affecting the global south, the things like our borders being... Uh, locked down to people in the global south like because of climate-based migration which is already happening like when people say fuck ice like that is actually wrapped up in that same problem that now that we're breathing the smoke privileged white people in LA for the first time we're starting to see the connections you know like you don't know you can theorize climate change until it physically affects you Mm mm-hmm you know, and for most white people, it's not going to touch you until it touches you. You can breed about it, you can theorize it, you can talk about it, you can know it exists, you can believe it's true, but until it touches you, it's not, like, real. And I mean, I guess, like, is that, is that human, too? Like, if, if police brutality wasn't a reality of your life and the world, would it affect you the same way? I mean, that's that's a complicated question because, you know, if... So I, I, think, I think white people would have a much different perspective, you know, if everything in our education and all the systems of how our culture runs and government runs Mm -hmm. didn't support white supremacy so it'd be one thing if we actually learned about how this country came to be the horrors of slavery um i think you know it would it wouldn't be perfect but i think it would be there would be a lot more empathy and a lot more understanding if people you know were told you know taught reality of how history happened well that's not gonna happen because today trump (laughs) made a declaration that public schooling now has to include patriotic themed education i mean it already does of course it already does (laughs) now it's just like a mandate you know yeah i think he specifically or they whoever was running this thing specifically cited howard zinn uh people's history of the united states which, which is the book that our podcast recorder is sitting on right now (laughs) as one of the things that they believe has incited the insurrections of this summer people having access to the knowledge (laughs) that book's old it's just but it, it gives it gives voice to a part of history that isn't taught in our schools well i mean it's like it's a little bit more of actual history mm-hmm. instead of, you know, Imperialist the sanita- sanitized, edited shit mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. most people learn. It's not even sanitized, though. It's more violent than that. It's not sanitized history. Oh, it's, san- it's totally sanitized. It's, it, I don't think I mean, it's sanitized. I'm not, I'm not saying, it, 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 I'm not, sanitized doesn't mean they took out violence. Right. Sanitized means it's the re it's the the reality of what happened was taken out that's why i think a better word is like it's an imperious imperialist perspective like 
sanitized to me means there's no blood, there's no guts, no, there's no glory, and that's all I over mean, American history. I don't feel like... It's just like you're supposed to side with the that's oppressor. That's not what it means to me. Sanit- I would say sanitized to violence. Sanitized to me just means like uh, watered down, like cleaned up. It is cleaned up because it doesn't have the actual things that happened in there. It's a rhetoric choice. I don't know. Uh. Um, so I wanted to tie it back in to our, <laughs> to our electroplacine, but I think that kind of sums it up. It's like a scene is related to a lot of things, you know? I don't think BDSM is just play, you know? I think it's play with a purpose. I think it's play that, like, seeks to understand a macro frame, you know? For me, at least. Mm -hmm. Not everyone approaches it that way, per se, but I think it's, like, that grief that we were talking about, I think... For me, after six months in lockdown, with very little social contact, but you, like, I'm grieving certain things, and I think you might be grieving things too, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's um, a reality of routine being disrupted, maybe. Maybe grief isn't the right word. Maybe it's mourning. Maybe it's not that deep. Maybe it's just annoyance. It's like being annoyed you can't do everything you want to do. Maybe. Maybe grief is too heavy. Uh, I, I, I feel like for me personally, probably too heavy, but... You know, uh... What would inspire grief for you? Mm, I think that's a cultural thing, mm. too. I don't... I think I think there's a very specific... Uh, idea of what grief looks like and I think that is experienced and done by different people in, in different ways and can be done mm-hmm. and I think I think in mainstream like culture a America. lot of the time it's not considered you know it, if it doesn't look like a certain thing if it doesn't look like shutting yourself down or crying or, Mm. you know, being upset that that doesn't count as grieving. Um. No, you're right. I think that's, that's also kind of what I'm talking about Mm. is like, I think grief is happening on a massive scale. And even if it doesn't look like it, you Mm -hmm. know, it's happening. People are grieving. People are grieving lives they thought they were going to live being lost, dreams that they had not being fulfilled, relationships they'd hoped for not coming to fruition, you know, all kinds of things. Those are, that's just like a a sampling of things that are being grieved. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily look like beating your breast and tearing your hair out and bawling and ugly crying, you know. It can look like a lot of different things for different people, but I think now is a massive moment of grief and for some the fires on this side of the country uh visually represent a certain thing too and a certain thing that's been memorialized in different movies and media and ideas of what 
the ultimate moment of grief is, and by ultimate moment, I mean the apocalypse as, like, (laughs) a bombastic, like, word that means the end, you know, and the end of times is, like, the ultimate grief, you know? So it's, like, the smoke in the air represents that, thanks to Blade Runner or whatever, you know? (laughs) So it's, like, people are met with that imagery that evokes this feeling oh, everything's over. It's, like, time to grieve. But I don't think there there's no such thing as everything's over. No, it's, no, it's, I don't think so yeah, either. It's, that's a problem. I, th- I, think that's, that's a problem. I think that's the thing is people are attached to this mm-hmm. thing, but, you know, life is, all like we were saying, life is always cycling and changing. And the apocalypse has and, happened thousands of times over for other people. Yeah. Indigenous people, that apoc- apocalypse started in 1492, or whatever the fuck, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, you know? Yeah. It's like those apocalypses are rolling it's a rolling apocalypse and and i think maybe that's where i don't know if maybe i sound detached or uh callous just indifferent stuff because there is an extended apocalypse Mm -hmm. and genocide of black Mm -hmm. people in this country Mm so i'm to me i'm just like well and i wonder too if maybe that's part uh, of why okay this is just life yeah and i wonder if that's part of why this moment of insurrection or social upheaval has been met with possibly more white people than in in in, his, in history although history has seen like some of that like you know joining of white people and helping black people but black people's liberation but maybe this is like a moment where it's happened more because white people are able to like see the end of times better when the pandemic has hit and they're forced to think about their own mortality and their own like proximity to apocalypse yeah i think the pandemic gives a proximity to apocalypse that most white people haven't felt before yeah yeah or white assumed people i mean it's it's like i think the the line the lines uh between i uh like seeing yourself and the other person are getting closer and closer mm-hmm. now like it's a it's also you know racism and everything's entwined in classism as well and, and as sorry and capitalism yeah classism and so capitalism. you know it's like as like our generation the millennials like are see are seeing like you know what our parents generation was fed and we're like oh yeah well college is bullshit all this other shit is Mm -hmm. bullshit like all these things are starting to come to a point Mm -hmm. where you know you realize the the myth of race yeah was was part of that farce yeah and it's you know we're nowhere we're nowhere near to where we need to be but it's like those those um i don't know those systems are starting to collapse Mm -hmm. and that's why we're getting you know the people that don't want to see or don't want to accept that reality, like the this explosion of like you know more vocal far right people and stuff like that is you know they're they're fighting that. Um, what's the word? The pendulum swing. The uh, the convergence of those things because their ideology is so tied up in something that used to be that can you know, can no longer be as, you know, we lose this American dream and people are starting to realize that 
the majority of us are working poor and there's like a few people up at the top siphoning you know literally the life force uh, mm-hmm. out of everybody else so who do you think's gonna win the election it doesn't fucking matter <laughs> <laughs> it really does not <laughs> Not at all. It doesn't matter at all. But what will make people, you know what I think is going to be most effective for revolution and for liberation is if Trump wins. More Trump. And I hope he does. I don't vote, so it won't be on me. Although I know people believe that no vote is a vote for Trump. A lot of, a lot of quote unquote liberal progressives will be placated by Biden. Biden and Kamala's Timberlands. Which will eventually become (laughs) Kamala. Kamala. Is it Kamala or Kamala? I don't know. Um, Because I don't. I don't know. I think. I think Biden will probably end up stepping down. Yeah, I think that's likely. And then we'll have a prosecutor in chief. But we'll have our first black woman president, and that's we we created so much change and progress in this country. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Black Desi. But. You know, don't be don't be fooled by optics. Yeah. Because Kamala Harris could have prevented an innocent black man from you know doing time for something he didn't commit. And when, children being fed into the when, pub, prison of public. Prison. When the uh, evidence of his innocence came to light, and she chose not to, so she her her physical identity politics don't really you know. Don't, physical identity politics don't always you know, tie into like what someone's going people, to do. People, I've heard people say not all skin folk are kin folk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's a problem, but y'all enjoy yourselves with that <laughs> little farce of your attempt to retain normalcy and not have to grieve and grieve your whiteness because it has to be abolished. Sorry, but it has to be. Yeah, I would personally much prefer um, the racists and the fucked up people being out in the open than, you know, It's definitely waking closeted. more people up than I, I noticed before, you yeah. know? Um, seeing conversations I didn't think I'd see, seeing people uh, look at themselves in ways I've looked at myself in ways that I didn't think I would, you know, these are things that it's, it's important to look in the mirror when you see someone like Trump in front of you, you know? And yeah, (laughs) that's important. Yeah. But we're not going to get too hard into electoralism. Have we ever done a podcast on? Yeah, we... we, we so y'all know where we We go at. into politics almost everyone. I was just thinking, I was like, <laughs> when are we going to do, do a fun... I tried to. I was trying to talk about S&M, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, I guess we'll leave it at that. Maybe we'll do a, like, post-November 3rd uh, wrap-up, because a lot of people feel like... If Trump wins again, a civil war is inevitable. Have you heard this? No. <laughs> well, this is what I they're I mean, saying. we're we're in a pseudo civil war now. It just hasn't fully come to like yeah. full on arms, but you know, there's, there's What do you think of that? What is that like What does that mean? Like does that is that do you think people mean like independent militias are going to begin fighting each other? Or do you think people mean like civil war in the 
American history sense that, like, there's going to be a, like, well, the draft is outlawed, but that there's going to be, like, independent, um, U.S. organized military units fighting each other. I mean, I don't, I don't think it will, I don't, I don't think the conditions exist for there to be a civil war like, you know, we had in the past. Um... Because there's not, there's not two, there's not two economic powerhouses. No, there's one going at, at it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's been it's been completely uh, unionized. So I think I guess when people say that, it's more, it's probably more, more in terms of a, a race war. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Or yeah, like. Mm, I mean. Uh, I don't even, I don't even, I, I, I don't, I, I, I think, I think, now that I'm thinking about it, I think probably maybe a civil cold war is more apt, because I, I just don't see it being like, I don't see it as being like this faction and that faction battling it out through the countryside. I've seen like... I think we're, we're in, we're, we're in, we're in a civil in the beginnings of like a civil or war. Yeah. yeah small bits of a civil these cold are these war. are the insurrections that war. prelude us okay civil what does a civil cold war mean uh, it, it, like the cold war is like where they the ussr and the united states were you know posturing there was like little things here and there but there was never like a declared like all out like mm. battles or mm. anything like that it's 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 more of a like ideological posturing mm. Mm. is what I imagine. I've seen some people suggest that like the wise thing for like people with more like left leaning politics to do would be to find like allies in China to send us weapons weapons of mass destruction <laughs> and like serious military uh, gear to actually fight an actual war. Maybe not um maybe not an art like a ground battle, you know? Yeah. But like if if people with who've who've already begun like organizing some type of militia style thing would like come into more powerful weapons. I just don't see that working so well cuz it's not you know, you can have those things, but if you don't know how to use them, if you don't have training, if you don't, yeah. if you're not a tactician. Well, I think the idea, that's, dealing... that's why some people feel like making friends with and allies with um, veterans is also a really good idea. Because we're, you know, we're dealing with things on a scale that far sup- surpa- surpass, like, what happened with, like, the American Revolutionary War, mm-hmm. where it was, you know... The British were sending ships of people over here, mm-hmm. which is, we're, we're talking about like a standing army in this country it's not plus we're like it's not it's not like some foreign government sending yeah by by the trade winds Mm. boats full of boats of like you mean the national guard or no i'm talking about like the revolutionary war where you know the british could only send what what did those fucking ships hold like three 300 slaves packed in but Mm -hmm. like soldiers they probably didn't pack them that deep like 200, 250 people in a boat at a time. So they were sending over boatloads in the 200 to 300 person range. Like, that's not a lot of people. Well, there we, weren't that many have, people here. Huh? There weren't as many people here. And then, yeah, there weren't as many people here. But I, I think also 
like warfare then they were doing like fucking musket lines of people yeah Yeah. it's it's complete i think that the tactics that's why i'm saying the tactics need to be like but military weapons that's what i'm saying you need training because you're dealing with a highly trained standing army what i said you know how to fly a drone what the fuck am i gonna get a drone i don't have like from china no (laughs) it's not that simple you have to have training to do like (laughs) That's, to effectively utilize that's all I'm those saying, things. Is I, think pe- when I people, don't think when China's going to give us when, anything well, we can't already get here. I don't. I have like, no idea. All I'm saying is when people think of civil war, I think that they think to our U.S. history of civil war, ground battle. That's not happening. No, of course <laughs> not. But I think that's the problem. Is like people aren't thinking of the fact that the war machine is is a, a global structure. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if anything were to happen, it would have to. There would have to be aid from another country, because you and I and our little Rubbermaid shield and our our bike helmet. People, I don't. It's like we. So we've been down on the ground a lot. Yeah. You know, we've been out and and watching these front lines as they develop and and uh, improve in some ways or like attempt to improve but it all comes out you know and i've been watching the portland live streams and things like that but that's not how it's gonna happen it's not gonna happen with people with like rubbermaid shields like throwing like paint milkshakes on police like if something if people believed that war if people who believe that war is the way to make things change if that was going to happen, it would have to happen with the aid of countries that wanted to aid us in a militia, which is how other, which is how other uh, insurrections have been successful, is when their militia is aided by other countries that actually have warfare tools and tactics. But I think it's, yeah, it's more than just equipment. I, I honestly don't see it happening in this country unless parts of the military, like... Um, Mutiny, yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, one of the most successful tactics from my very uh, new, newly found research is, like, guerrilla warfare as one of the most um, successful forms of insurrectionary tactic, you know? But I don't think we have to get into the all yeah. this. I mean, I'm just talking about, like, Algiers and Cuba. These are the things that, like, yeah, but, have proven... But both of those are not... You're not dealing... I don't know. Cuba's much smaller scale, and you're not dealing with, like, a standing army that is, like, the most well-funded, like, military machine in in history. Yeah, but Cuba beat the U.S. They just don't, they just have, they just don't have any, (laughs) they have sanctions so that they can't survive now. But they, they, Cuba did not battle the U.S. military on the U.S. soil. The U.S. military didn't even really invade Cuba. They, no, because they, they, they crashed their planes, they, didn't they? They sent, they sent uh, white Cubans, like, uh, training and armed white Cubans to try to cause an insurrection there. Right. Like, and their it's, planes crashed. It's not, it's not the same thing as trying to topple the U.S. military in the U.S. Mm. I personally am a pacifist. I'm not. And I would really prefer... I'm not, I'm not a not... I'm a, I'm a not non-violent pacifist, so I am not a non-violent mm. proponent. I, just, I don't believe in but I unnecessary believe, violence. But. I don't believe in that either. I believe in property destruction above all else um, because that's the root of American success 
as it as it is the root of success in America um, so I really think like this concept of burning the plantation is is sounds right to me I agree with that I think I think mass scale like revolt maybe not necessarily in the terms of like oh we're having a civil war revolt mm-hmm. but like you know we're not every everyone's going on strike we're not doing shit mm-hmm. like you we're think a general strike is a good like time. yeah something like that because mm-hmm. you know they understand money they understand money and they understand violence mm-hmm. let's okay nobody's buying shit we're burning all the police stations we're like mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't think com- I don't think combat is our strength. Yeah, our strength is labor. Open, yeah, I don't think open combat is going mm-hmm. to. Uh, That's what I mean by passive. I think I, I guess I think targeted like intentional things like shooting the sheriff can, can work, but I I don't think like we're raising militias to do, go do no. open battle is not, and that it's not going to go well. And that to me, I guess, out of like the past couple months is the thing that like every time we're down there uh, witnessing that, I'm just like, where is this going exactly? Because oh. like we see them with their militarized equipment and then there's us with our, like I said, our bike helmets and Rubbermaid shields and like what do we actually think like is going to happen here? And so many people have died down there, you mm-hmm. know? So many people have died in the last three months from frontline battle, which is, you know... With non-lethal with non With non-lethal lethal munitions. They're not non-lethal, they're less lethal. Less lethal. <laughs> and beyond that, I mean, the tear gas has caused, like, innumerable health problems and yeah. miscarriages and deaths, you know, for people as well. So I just, I think from my perspective, from what you know, in the scale of things, what little I've seen from the front lines, that to me doesn't make that much sense. It's like, we are little peons. Like, we don't have what the what the uh, military-industrial complex has and the idea that we could ever gain that even from allied, you know, reinforcements is probably a little silly. Yeah. What we have is labor. Because in capitalism, that 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 is what our power is they can't have their money without our labor so yeah that is absolutely generalist strike probably is the best tactic but man i don't know it's been it's been declared a couple times in the last few months alone i don't know when and how that message will get across in that and i think that's a consciousness raising thing you know? yeah i don't think i don't i don't think the majority of the country or at least we're not at the point where we have critical mass for something and why would we people are trying to survive like today yeah. we ran errands and we interacted with a number of people who are at work trying to survive a privilege you know uh, the, the privilege that we have of not having to do that is not everyone's you know yeah. everyone we had to interact with today had to go to work you know um and so yeah if i had to go to work and i had was afraid that i would have no options outside of that I, it would be hard to general strike i think knowing that there are immense like mutual aid projects happening right now or what i appear to be mutual immense mutual aid projects would maybe like help people feel more secure in a general strike Mm -hmm. so maybe also making it known that there's a that we're all creating nets for each other safety nets to fall into is part of that you know i mean i think it would be interesting 
if there were enough people, you know, to have critical mass to do even just like a one day general strike just to flex and like it's been attempted. Just, the consciousness isn't there, like right. you said. That's what yeah, you know, saying if if we had you know people of that mindset to the critical mass, where it would be I want to like say a, oh the biggest oh. one was I think in Seattle. Um, Seattle had like a massive general strike at one point mm. um, that did really disrupt certain supply chains. Yeah. I, you know, it, it can happen. It's like, that's a locality, right? Yeah. So how do you make it a national? I mean, it's like, it didn't, didn't it happen? I don't know if it was in LA Harbor or Oakland Harbor where all yes, the docks... But, but the problem with that, with the way that that was talked about in the news and in the propaganda is that it happened during a regularly scheduled union sanctified break. Oh, did it? It happened oh. on their lunch break. Mm. That's not the same thing. Yeah. And so people like to propagandize that as like, and that's a, that's leftist propaganda Mm -hmm. and it's not helpful, honestly. Well, you know, and that's union propaganda and union propaganda is not always helpful either, you know, because it's also, it it falls in line with certain tactics of like, um, the, uh, nonprofit industrial complex. Like Mm -hmm. it, it falls into similar tactics and like where union is God, but like they actually didn't disrupt anything. Just on the surface, it seemed like, yes, a shutdown of all the ports along the West Coast would be a big deal, but they scheduled it so that happened in their lunch break, and it wasn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Or not their lunch break. I'm sorry. I'm saying that wrong. Some kind of... During a, a regularly scheduled union meeting. Mm. So they have a time that's set aside for union meetings, and that's when the strike took place. So it didn't put anyone at risk. And I think... I'm not an expert at all, but I do think that if a general strike has to happen, risk has to happen. Yeah. Just like rent strike. If we were to rent strike, risk is inevitable in that, right? Yeah. Um, if you're, yeah, I think, uh, if, I feel like it's, I don't know if it was going around in social media or what, but it's, fuck, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, if, you know, if you're not, if it, if you're not risking something, it's not mm-hmm. going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, something that catches attention, you know, and, I guess and that, it's that, kind of like the scheduling with, with the cops to have a mm-hmm, mm-hmm. protest. The march is going to follow um, this pattern yeah, it's and it's going to do this and it'll end now. It's a lip service thing that's, you know, No matter what follows, the will of the people who if are you're putting not, their bodies in line to be in that march, what the will of those people have in mind, you know, because that's also like a problem with leadership. In insurrectionary, insurrectionary moments. There shouldn't be leadership. And there shouldn't be collaboration with police. Because that's just, that's just, you know, hierarchy. Yeah. The police are then in charge of your march. Right? I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I don't know. I have to pee really bad. Alright, let's end this. <laughs> I have to pee also. Um, thanks for listening us to our babbles. <laughs> letting us go off there. <laughs> Hope everything is as well as it can be with you, and you're doing okay in these times. Yeah, it's not easy. No. I don't think. I've been having a hard time. But let yourself feel the hard times, and reach out to people who love you, and... It's okay to have hard times. If there's no hard times, there's no easy times or awesome times. Mm-hmm. It's, 
you got to have that contrast. There are people who you know? love you and there are places that love you. People who want to hold and support you no matter where you are in your journey in the now times. The now now. And keep dreaming of a better world. Keep living for the better world. Love you. What did you say? Love you. Love you. (laughs) (laughs) Love you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Cosmic Halitosis. If you have questions or comments or want to yell something at us, email us at cosmic with a K halitosis, cosmic halitosis at gmail.com. Please subscribe and like the podcast. And you can follow us on our personal Instagram accounts. I am gorgeous taps. And Temba is Tembizzle, T-E-M-B-I-Z-Z-L-E. Thanks for listening.